So we're looking at Numbers chapter 14, and we'll be starting at verse 1 and reading to verse 12. It says, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people went that, wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little one will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred to us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. I think fear is one of the greatest motivators uh, that motivates the human psyche. And I think it can motivate us like nothing else can. Uh, for example, a few months ago, several months ago now, uh, I was out at my in-law's house in Wilson, and uh, we were just kind of hanging out there. I'm not sure what we were doing there, having dinner or something. And uh, then we're getting ready to go, and we're just kind of gathering everything up, just kind of moseying, moseying on out. And Stephanie, my wife, says to me, uh, is there something on Paul's eye? And I looked at Paul's eye, and as I was looking at his eye, it just blew up like a balloon. Like it was the most scary thing I've ever seen. Uh, just before my eye, his eye just blew up. And I'm like, He's having a reaction, and then at that point, we're like, what do we do? And so we decide we're going to go home to get the EpiPen at our house, but we're out in Wilson, not near any hospitals, and so we start heading there, and we, you know, I throw him in the car, and I'm driving like a maniac. I'm driving like 25 miles over a speed limit, like 80 miles an hour sometimes. Uh, I drove through a red light at one point. I was just going crazy to try to get home to make sure my son was okay. Uh, and we got, you know, we were in contact with the doctor. The doctor saw a picture of him, He's, and she's like, you got to get to the hospital as soon as you can. Don't pass go. Just get there. Thankfully, everything turned out to be okay, and he was fine. But I think back on that, and fear was a really powerful motivator. See, I'm a fairly conservative driver. I'm not a real aggressive driver. I don't drive really fast. And if I'm late for something, you're not going to get me to drive 80 miles an hour. You're not going to get me to drive through a red light. If I'm really excited to get somewhere, you're not going to get me to drive 80 miles an hour. You're not going to get me to drive through a red light. But if I'm scared, if my son's life is in danger, yeah, I'll, I'll drive 80 miles an hour. Yeah, I'll go through a stoplight. Fear is a powerful motivator. 
And uh, scammers have kind of picked up on this now. Have you ever gotten these calls? I actually got a couple of them this week where, you know, they give you a call and say, hey, just wanted to let you know there's action on your Social Security number. You better call us back or you're going to be in trouble. You know, they're going to take you to jail and all that stuff. You know, or you get this mail, this piece of mail that looks like an official government document, and you know, you get a little bit nervous and open it up and find out it's an advertisement to sell something. Well, a few years ago, there was a lady in Hong Kong. Uh, I think she was 83, 93 years old, and she got a phone call from some scammers uh, that told her that her identity had been stolen, and there was criminal activity in her name in the mainland of China, and she had to call and get this strained out. And so they brought her this special cell phone to communicate with these, quote, investigators. And they told her that they had to do what was called an asset audit. And so she had to transfer all the contents of her bank account into these investigators' bank account. And then, of course, they said it would be returned eventually. She ended up losing $32 million in this scam. Fear is a pretty powerful motivator. And uh, in the passage that we looked at last week, we looked at the people of Israel and how they longed to go back to Egypt. And the reason they longed to go back to Egypt was because they were hungry, and not just hungry, they wanted meat. And they're like, hey, remember the good old days back in Egypt when uh, we had melons and cucumbers and fish, we had all that we wanted. And so it was kind of like the, the desires of their flesh caused them to want to go back to Egypt. Here in this passage, they want to go back to Egypt. They're like, let's choose some different leaders for ourselves. Let's go back to Egypt. But this time it's for a different reason. This time it's because of fear. See, Moses has spent, sent 12 spies into the land of Canaan, the promised land, and 10 of them come back and say, hey, this is an incredible land. There are, you know, is incredible produce, kind of like, you know, you go to 4-H and you see those ginormous, you know, melons and cucumbers. Like, it, it, there's amazing stuff here in this land, but there's also giants. They say there's Ascendants of descendants of Anak that live there. There is the you know they are very powerful, very strong. They're well fortified. We shouldn't go near this place. Yes, it's a good land, but they're strong. They're mighty. We shouldn't go near this place. The recommendations given in chapter thirteen, verse thirty-one. They say we are not able to go against this people, for they're stronger than we are. Then the people of Israel go from being shackled by their appetites to be shackled to fear. When I talk about, I say being shackled to fear, I say being shackled to fear because fear in and of itself is not a bad thing necessarily if it motivates us to action. But when fear kind of takes the driver's seat of our life, when it kind of is what calls the shots, then it kind of can immobilize us. I think of, you know, an these shackles that they used to have years ago, hundreds of years ago, where, you know, the person would have a shackle on their ankle and maybe attached to this big, heavy metal ball. And I think that's kind of what, what fear does to it. It kind of keeps us immobilized, keeps us from what God calls us to do. So there's a few things I think this passage shows us about what it looks like to be shackled to fear. And the first is that being shackled to fear means living a life of deception. Being shackled to fear means living a life of deception. Now, fear, again, can be positive if it moves us to action. If you're in the woods and there's a grizzly bear that's in front of you, the proper response to that would be fear. And you need to do everything that you can to get out of that situation. 
However, it would not be an appropriate response to say, well, somebody somewhere got attacked by a grizzly bear, and therefore I shouldn't go into the woods at all at any time at any location. Fear kind of takes control, and what happens is fear lies to us. See, when we're afraid of something, we tell ourselves that we're being realistic. We tell ourselves we're being cautious. We tell ourselves we're being responsible. But oftentimes when we're shackled to fear, when fear takes the driver's seat, fear actually lies to us. And fear is actually more irrational. Fear deceives us. That's what happens with the people of Israel here. They get this report from the spies about how big and strong and mighty the people who are living in the land of Canaan are. And their fear tells them, we have no way out. I mean, that's what is before us. The land of Canaan is before us. They're too strong to conquer. Uh, behind us is the wilderness. We don't have any options but to go back to Egypt. That's not truth. The truth is God has promised them the land of Canaan, and God is going to give them the land of Canaan. That is going to happen. That is a certainty, but their fear deceives them. See, when we're shackled to fear, we're living in a reality that doesn't exist. Have you ever watched one of those uh, kind of murder mystery shows on television uh, maybe where you know there's a serial killer that breaks into people's houses and kills people, and you watch this show, and it's terrifying, and then you turn the TV off, turn the lights off, go to bed, and then you're laying in bed, and then all of a sudden you hear this, like, creak, hear this sound. It's like, is he here? Is he trying to get me? Is he going to break in the house and kill me? You know, you think about that, and that, you know, has probably happened to all of us, but you think about that, and the likelihood, unless you've kind of messed with the wrong people or have some you know, family member who's exceptionally violent, unless you know, you're in that situation, the likelihood that a stranger that's, is going to break into your house and kill you while you're sleeping, it's extremely, extremely low. Uh, one stat I found, I don't know for sure if this is true, but uh, said that about 0.00, you have a 0.000058% chance of being killed each murdered each year. But, you know, we watch something like that, we're afraid, and then all of a sudden it becomes real. It's like, you know, that creaking sound, that wind, could be somebody breaking into our house to get us. You know, or you have a movie like Jaws. You know, if you're older, maybe you remember going to a theater and watching Jaws in the theater. And then after you watch a movie like that, it's like, do you really want to go into the water? Do you really want to go to the beach? It's like these terrible creatures are living in, the, living in the ocean and they're ready to eat you. But again, the truth is shark attacks relatively rare. Sharks aren't necessarily aggressive. They're, you know, we're not their primary food source. The, the chances of being attacked and killed by a shark is 1 in 3.25 million. But our fear tells us that it's going to happen. Our fear tells us that there's danger lurking around the corner. Or then my favorite, and I wish I could say that it was only my wife that's afraid of these, but I may be afraid of them as well. Spiders. You know, we think about spiders and we maybe see a spider in our house and it's like we jump back, maybe even scream. You know, and spiders are very, very harmless. Uh, spiders actually uh, kill some pests that 
can be harmful to us, kill like, you know, fleas and flies and different things that are harmful to people. But we're afraid of spiders and we feel like they're dangerous. There's only two kinds of spiders uh, in the United States that are actually dangerous. Uh, the black widow, the brown recluse. And I don't think they usually come much around here. They live more in the West. And even in the West, they tend to live outside. And even if they live inside, it's rare that they would bite anyone. They're not looking to bite anyone. They're generally pretty peaceful. But we think about spiders and our fear takes over. And maybe we run across the room when we see a spider that can't really harm us. Because fear is sometimes irrational. Fear leads us to reality that doesn't exist. And oftentimes what fear does is it leads us to focus on the what-ifs in life. And it, helps, it makes us treat the what-ifs as certainty. Look at what the people of Israel say in verse 3. They say that our wives and our little ones will become prey. In other words, the Canaanites, they're going to defeat us and kill us, and then they're going to take our wives and our children. This is a what-if, and this what-if is not true. Of course, the wives and little ones are not going to become prey. The children are actually going to be the ones that enter into the promised land. The older generation, the parents, are not going to be allowed in. Spiritual writer Henry Nguyen once said this, The real enemies of our life are the oughts and the ifs. They pull us backward into the unalterable past, and forward into the unpredictable future. But real life takes place in the here and the now. God is a God of the present. God is always in the moment. Be that moment hard or easy, joyful or painful. So being shackled to fear leads us to live lives of deception. And so we see in this passage that the people of Israel listen to their fears rather than to the truth of what God has told them. The enemy is strong. They're going to take us out. They're going to kill us. They're going to take our children. We have no way out. We can't stay in the wilderness. We can't go into Canaan. We have to just go back to Egypt. And I think sometimes we can fall into a similar trap. We can let our fears define our reality rather than Christ defining our reality. See, God's presence and God's word are more real than our fears. What are the things that you are fearing today? Check those things with God's word. Are you fearing your finances? Are you fearing your financial future? Well, God's word tells us that he cares for even the sparrows. And he'll also care for us. Are we worried about our health? Well, God tells us that each and every hair of our head is numbered. He knows us intimately. He's in complete control of what's happening. Are you worried about your future or the political climate that we live in? God's word tells us that the nations are like a drop in the bucket. He's a God who's sovereign over the affairs of men. Are you worried about your future in terms of the fact that one day all of us will die? Will we serve a God who conquered sin and death and offers us victory through faith in him? God's truth is greater than our fears. God's truth is more real than anything that we might experience in this life. So that's the first thing about being shackled to fear. Being shackled to fear leads us to a life of deception. But also, being shackled to fear leads us or causes us to miss out on God's plan for us and miss out what, for, uh, what God has for us. I mean, you think about this passage, and the people of Israel are on the brink of making history. See, God had promised Abraham hundreds of years prior 
one day you're going to inherit this land, this land flowing with milk and honey. And God has these incredible things in store for the people of Israel. Here's this beautiful, fertile land that is going to be yours. And this generation, he says, you're going to get to experience the promise that I made to Abraham hundreds of years ago. So many other generations might have longed for that day. And yet in the face of that, what do they say? We got to go back to Egypt. We got to go back to the land of slavery. And as a judgment, they're forced to wander in the desert for 40 years. They experience defeat rather than victory, want rather than plenty, discipline rather than favor. And really, that was their own choice. They chose that destiny. They said, basically, we'd rather die in the wilderness than to go and be defeated by these Canaanites to take this land. And God is essentially like, okay, if that's what you want, here you go. And so they wander in the wilderness. Sometimes it's easier to stay where we are, even if it's miserable, even if it's painful, it's comfortable. And going into the unknown of what God has for us can sometimes be scary. One lady named Virginia Satir, a therapist, once said this, most people prefer the certainty of misery to the misery of uncertainty. They'd rather experience death in the desert or slavery in Egypt than to go to the place where God calls them to go. Because who knows what's there? Who knows what's in the land of Canaan? Looks like likely defeat. I think we sometimes do the same thing. We'd rather stay where we are than go where God calls us to, do, to go because where we are, even though it's painful, it's comfortable. And here's what I, I've found. I don't have a sci scientific basis for this. I don't really have a scriptural basis for this. But what I've observed is oftentimes when people will be really fearful of something, that fear ironically causes that to actually come true. It's like somebody will be really fearful about their health and then they'll be filled with anxiety and in the process that anxiety kind of hurts their health. Or, you know, a person will maybe be petrified that they're going to you know, be rejected by someone else. And maybe that leads them to maybe tell some lies, maybe save face. And as they do those things and kind of that becomes the habit of their life, they find that people don't want to be around them because they lie. And that fear leads them to a place where that it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean, you see it in relationships. Someone, you know, fears being alone. And so then they're so desperate to have somebody around them, to love them, that they end up pushing people away. And then their fear end up, ends up becoming reality. Sometimes, you know, maybe we obsess about something, fear something so much, and focus on it so much that we maybe miss something that's important. Bottom line is, being shackled to fear is not productive. It's not helpful. I mean, fear initially, if it leads us to an action, can be productive, but when it takes the driver's seat of our life, it's not productive. It doesn't help us. I mean, how many things have we missed out on because of fear? Maybe some of us, maybe some of us, God has called to change our career, change our job. But we don't do it because maybe, you know, our job is comfortable. And we're kind of content where we are. 
And rather go to go to where God ha- what God has for us, God's best for us, we just stay where we're at. Maybe some of us, God's called into ministry, but we don't know where we'd get started. It's fearful out there. We're safe where we are right now, and so we just stay where we're at. Some of us, maybe God has called to share our faith with family member, loved one, friend. But we don't do it because we fear maybe they're going to change their perception of us. Maybe they won't see us the same way anymore. Maybe they'll reject us. Maybe some of us, uh, maybe we feel like God's called us to speak truth into someone else's life. Maybe we need to challenge and encourage our brother or sister in Christ. But we don't do it because we want to stay safe. We don't want to ruffle their feathers. We don't want to create conflict, so we just stay where we're at. Some of us, maybe we have missed out on the joy of the Lord. Maybe we're so focused on our fears that we miss out on the blessings that God has given us. There's a lady named Bronnie Ware. She's an Australian nurse, and she's spent several years working in palliative care. And specifically, she's worked with people who are kind of in the last 12 weeks of their lives. And she kind of compiled her observations into a blog, and then that blog got so much attention that it became a book. And so she wrote a book a few years ago called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. Few of those regrets. The number one regret, she says, uh, was people who says, "I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected to me, expected of me." She writes, "This was the most common regret of all. When people realize that their life is almost over and look back clearly on it, it is easy to see how many dreams have gone unfulfilled. Most people had not honored even half of their dreams and had to die knowing that it was due to choices they had made or not made." She writes, health brings a freedom very few realize until they no longer have it. A couple other of the top regrets. I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. She writes, many people suppress their feelings in order to keep peace with others. As a result, they settled for a mediocre existence and never became who they were truly capable of becoming. Many developed illnesses related to the bitterness and resentment they carried as a result. Another regret, I wish that I had let myself be happier. This is a surprisingly common one, she says. Many did not re- realize until the end that happiness is a choice. They had stayed stuck in old patterns and habits. The so-called comfort of familiarity overflowed into their emotions as well as their physical lives. Fear of change had them pretending to others and to themselves that they were content when deep within they longed to laugh properly and have silliness in their life again. How do you sum up those regrets? Three of the top five regrets people have when they're dying. Sum them up this way. I wish I wasn't afraid. I wish I wasn't afraid. And I find, you know, in my own life, as I look back on periods of my life and things that maybe I was worried about and I've seen how God was kind of in control the whole time, I think back on those times like, wonder what it would have been like if I wasn't afraid. I wonder how much joy I missed out on because I was afraid. I wonder what opportunities I missed out on because of fear. If only we wouldn't be shackled to our fear. The movie The Lord of the Rings, uh, Two Towers. Uh, of course, Sauron, the evil uh, dark, uh, master of the dark forces, is starting to overcome Middle-earth and 
you know, of course, the hobbits and uh, an elf and uh, some humans. A couple of people are trying to kind of ward off these forces of darkness. Uh, one of them is named Aragorn, and uh, Aragorn knows that this militia of uh, forces are coming to his hometown of Rohan. And so he goes to Rohan, and he goes to the king's palace, and he sees the king of Rohan's daughter, and uh, they're in this kind of darkly lit Gothic parlor, only a few lamps in there, and she's there with the sword just kind of practicing. You know, and she's just a pretty small person, but she knows how to use the sword. She's a formidable foe. And so she doesn't see him at first, and then he comes into the light, and she's there ready to attack him, and they draw swords and fight for a second until she realizes who it was. Aragorn remarks on her skill, how she's such a skilled warrior. And she responded this way. She said, The women of Rohan have had to learn that just because you do not carry a sword does not mean you cannot die upon one. She said, I fear neither death nor pain. Aragorn was curious about this. He said, what do you fear? She says that she fears a cage. To stay behind bars until use and old age accept them. And all chance of valor has gone beyond recall or desire. See, being shackled to fear causes us to live in a prison. Causes us to live in a cage. It prevents us from doing what God calls us to do. It prevents us from the good that God has for us. So being shackled to fear causes us to miss what God has for us. Finally, being shackled to fear is an act of rebellion. I think in our culture, we're kind of judgmental when it comes to aggressive-type sins, but we're a little bit more permissive when it, become, when it comes to kind of passive sins. In other words, if someone had a problem with anger and took that out on someone else, we would tend to be more judgmental to that person. They shouldn't do something like that. But when someone is fearful, we usually respond more with pity. It's a shame that they're afraid. But each one of those responses is wrong. And again, fear is not wrong. That initial uh, feeling of fear, it's not wrong. It's when it takes control of our lives, and that's the thing that's you know, driving the ship of our lives, when it prevents us from doing what God has called us to do. And you think about this passage, and it's incredible what's happened. I mean, God has done so much for this people. He's done so much for the people of Israel. God, they were slaves in Egypt, and they're groaning to God, calling out to God. Their taskmasters were brutal, God answers their prayer, and he does these miraculous signs through Moses, parts the Red Sea, brings these plagues upon the people of Egypt, brings them out into safety. Then they're in the wilderness, and you know it looks bleak. It looks like they're going to die. They don't have any food. They don't have any water. But each step of the way, God provides. He provides manna from heaven. He provides quail. He provides water. He provides everything that they need. And he's taking them on a journey to the place that he's prepared for them for hundreds of years. A place flowing with milk and honey. And yet they reject it. Yet they see even to God's servants, Joshua and Caleb, who want to take the land. or say, if God delights to give us this land, we can do this. They want to stone him. 
They want to put him to death. How dare you say something like that? How dare you be so foolish to believe the promises of God? It's not just a mistake. It's an act of rebellion. So my uh, anniversary is coming up this week. And kind of planning on what we're going to do for our anniversary. And you know, imagine that I decided I was going to take my wife out for a nice dinner. And then afterwards, we go for a walk. And then imagine that I take her back to the church here, and all the lights are off in the church. And I said, Stephanie, go in the door. I have a surprise for you. And imagine she says, well, I don't know what's in the church. I don't like to go in the church at night. I'm scared of what might be in there. I said, no, Stephanie, go, go in. I, I, I have something special for you. And imagine she says, no, I, I don't think I can do it. Imagine I insist, oh, Stephanie, I'll go in with you. I mean, I, I prepared something special for you. You're, you're going to love it. Imagine she says, no, I, I, I don't think I can do that. I don't, I don't know what's in there. I mean, how would that make me feel? I mean, it'd be like, I mean, I prepared this special present for her. I mean, and after all, we've known each other for all these years. And I mean, you don't trust me that I'm not going to lead you into danger. I think that's how God feels. I mean, he's done so much for us. He has so many good things in store for us. And sometimes we're like, no, can't do it. Not going there. Not going to take that risk. Even when it's not a risk when God is going with us. He's taken care of us so many times in the past. He'll take care of us in the future. And a failure to trust in him is ultimately an act of rebellion. Being shackled to fear means living a life of deception. Being shackled to fear causes us to miss out on what God has for us. And being shackled to fear is an act of rebellion. God doesn't want us to live lives of fear. That's why he told us so many times, dozens of times in the scripture, do not be afraid, fear not. There's a segment of a local news station, I'm not sure which one, but uh, they have a segment dealing with COVID-19 that they call like um, facts over fear or facts, not fear. And, and it's kind of humorous from that perspective because they give you facts that are really scary. It's like there's this terrible variant that's going to come and kill everyone, but don't be afraid about it. You know, it's kind of silly from that realm, but when you think about it from a spiritual realm, I think it's really true. What if we focused on the facts of what we know rather than on our fears? What if we focused on the truth of God's word? rather than the illusion of our fear? What if we believe that God really is for us? What if we believed as believers in Christ that God has been with us? He will be with us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. What if we believe that based upon the cross and what he's done for us in the cross, it's a testament to the fact that he has good things in store for us, that he will not withhold any good thing from us? What if we believe that God works for the good of all who love him, who called according to his purpose? What if we believe the truth rather than the lies of our fear? There's a commercial uh, a few years ago for an insurance company. And uh, there was this young girl that was out in this kind of picturesque meadow. And she's just standing there kind of peacefully contented. And then the camera pans over to a different section of the field and you see this ginormous African rhinoceros that's coming at her full speed. 
But you look and she's not moving. And she's just has that same expression, same peaceful, contented expression. And there's something that comes on the screen that says, trust is not being afraid. And then the rhinoceros gets closer and closer to her, but she just stands there, same expression on her face. And just when it's about to run her over, it stops. And she reaches out her hands and pats the rhinoceros's horn. Then the, at the bottom of the screen, it says, even when you're vulnerable. Trust is not being afraid, even when you're vulnerable. I think that's what God calls us to, trusting in him. Even when there's a lot of things around us that we could fear, that we could give into, trust is not being afraid. Trust is believing in the truth of God's word rather than our fear. I'd like to close by reading Matthew chapter 10, word of truth that Jesus spoke to his disciples. Jesus says this, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledged me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you that we need not fear, though the earth give way, though the mountains be thrown into the midst of the seas, because you are with us. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you're in control of our lives. Lord, we pray that fear would not have a foothold in our life. Lord, as we live our lives, we pray that we'd be focused on the truth of your word, the truth of your promises, and not give in to the lies of fear. And as we do that, we pray that we'd walk in the plans that you have for us, that we'd walk in obedience and holiness to the place that you've called us to go. In Christ's name I pray, amen.